You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Thanks for being here. Guys, I want to be a really good steward of your time, and I know... I feel like I'm just talking just to you, man. I know that you guys have been sitting through stuff all day long, and so uh, I want to just give you some practical, kind of helpful things. This this, this whole breakout is going to be super practical um, on fostering a uh, a team culture, a creative team culture. So I'll give you context for where I'm coming from, and hopefully you can take some of these principles and adapt them to whatever context you're in. I realize we got a huge spectrum of of people and and types of churches and sizes of churches and sizes of teams. Um, So this is not meant to be something that can only be prescribed to a church like mine, but hopefully whatever kind of context you're in, okay? So uh, I'm a worship pastor at the Austin Stone, Austin, Texas. I've been there for eight years, and uh, it has been like the just the most humbling, um, um, hard in many ways, uh, amazing, happy, sad, um, frustrating, joyful thing ever, right? To work at a church and to serve people um, all the time. Uh, It's all those things all the time, and I absolutely love it. And um, more than anything, man, my my prayer just is, as we've been here, my wife and I have been there for eight years now, my prayer is that... um, that God would just keep teaching um, me as, as, as their shepherd to lead them well. Like I really want um, to lead our team in a way that, that glorifies God, but then also a way where each person in the team really flourishes and finds out what God has uniquely wired them for and for them to be able to get plugged into the ministry work and to do it, to be on mission. So that's the context where I'm at. Um, we have seven campuses all around Austin, um, we're, each one of those has a, a worship pastor at it and a campus pastor. Um, we have a team of about 350 volunteers that are involved with the worship ministry um, for kids, students, and adults at all seven of those campuses. And so we have a team, um, most of which are volunteer. Some are staff. Uh, and my role, the privilege that I get, is to really uh, cast vision and leadership to our worship staff, and then to our our team, our army of volunteers. Also want to preface with one more thing before we jump in here, okay? Um, Our church has not always been like that. So it didn't start out with 350 volunteers. It didn't start out with seven campuses. It just didn't start out with a worship staff. When I first got there eight years ago, the worship staff was me and Jimmy McNeil, who's leading worship tonight, um, and one other person that was like part-time. Okay. So this is like new stuff that God has been doing over eight years time. So even when you hear me talk about this stuff, know that I know that, um, that growth takes a lot of time and in some churches, in some contexts, it will never be that big. It should never be that big, but this is the context that I happen to be in right now. So again, these principles are meant to kind of be able to be injected into whatever place of ministry you serve in. Cool? Okay, awesome. Um, Greatest aim as a worship pastor right now in my church is two things other than the obvious ones of glorifying God, knowing the word, leading people to to worship on Sundays, right? Two other aims that I have uh, as a priority right now um, to kind of let you know where this stuff is coming from. One is to lead a worshiping team 
not just a worship team. There's a difference between building a worship team of people and building a worshiping team. Um, You can have a worshiping team with all volunteers. You can have a worshiping team with all staff people. You can have a worshiping team with just you and one other person. You can have a worshiping team no matter what size or type place that you're at, right? So there's a big difference between a worshiping team and a worship team. Second main uh, priority as a, a worship pastor right now is to uh, foster a team where people can flourish in their creativity, where people can flourish in their creativity. God has uniquely designed artists, right, that, that, um, that serve the local church. He's uniquely designed them to put something in that community that nobody else really can. God is just so brilliant in doing uh, the work of making people very differently. And so one of the passions that I have is to see artists in the church flourish in their creativity for the kingdom of God, for the purposes of God. Because when you see artists really like flourishing, you see creativity flourish, there's a really beautiful thing that happens just like when business men and women flourish in the local church and when children's ministry flourishes in the local church, right? Creativity, creative people, when they're flourishing in their gifts and they're on mission, makes for a really, really powerful kind of movement in, in whatever city you live in. So those are my, my two priorities right now other than leading worship on a Sunday, okay? So I said practical, I mean it, like really, really practical kind of stuff. This isn't, this isn't like high level, this is just like, very, very simple stuff that all of us can do in um, fostering creative culture in our teams, okay? First one is this, and I have a fancy um, presentation for you, for, for the five of you over here on this side and the five of you over here on this side that can see it, okay? First one is this, shepherding takes time. Shepherding takes time. For us to really ever um, shepherd people towards knowing God and being on mission and flourishing in their creativity, you and I have to understand that shepherding people takes a whole lot of time. I think it's brilliant that God has used the image of shepherding throughout scripture. It's something that's so unique and so kind of crazy. I don't know any shepherds. I don't, I've never been around sheep, so I don't have much context for like, none of us do, for um, what shepherding and um, you know, dealing with sheep every day actually looks like on a farm from a day-to-day sort of basis. But I do know this, shepherding takes a whole lot of time. You see so many times in the, in the scripture when David, for example, one of many shepherds in the scripture, right, was spending just so much time with his sheep. If you look at the New Testament and how um, Paul talks about uh, what it looks like to shepherd the flock that's among you, almost all of the things that he talks about takes an enormous amount of time to do. So for, for us as, as leaders of a worship ministry, it means you got to understand that shepherding takes an insane amount of time, right? And if we take our eye off of how much time it takes, it's easy just to kind of like start a program or tell people to do something and forget that shepherding is a one-on-one time-consuming sort of thing, right? So create time to regularly engage and meet with the people, that you're leading on your teams. Create time. Time just doesn't happen. Really meaningful interactions with people on your team, they, you don't just stumble into them. Sometimes you do, but most of the time you don't stumble into them. So it means creating regular rhythms 
where you are interacting with your people, okay? Again, all of us would say, great, of course, absolutely. But how in the world could I ever do that with the five people that I lead or the hundred people that I lead? Like, how could I make time for all of those people if I'm called to be a shepherd, right? That's probably one of the biggest struggles that we have is like, yes, I know I should be spending time with people, but how in the world do I do that? Um, As you guys walked in, there's a a sheet of paper called a shepherding grid. And I want to just kind of walk through this with you. If you didn't get one of these, both sides of the back of the room, there's a a chair with with some of these sitting on it. But one of the biggest uh, kind of hurdles in shepherding people that our team has had is trying to figure out how in the world you come up with enough time to shepherd all the people that really need it. And um, this grid has been helpful, kind of a framework for our team to think about how to care for people properly, right? The biggest struggle that I have in shepherding people is the sheer amount of people that are in front of me to shepherd and figuring out where to actually find the time to meet with them. Because I don't want to say no, but I don't also want to miss out on family life and being um, first priority being my time with the Lord and my time with my wife and my kids, right? So it's really all about priorities. So if you would, for just a second, I just want to walk you through this, okay? Um, there's a, a couple different, like, buckets, right, that you um, can think about when you're thinking about what it means to shepherd. The bottom bucket, all of these little gray spheres, too, are meant to have names in it, like actual people's names that you're shepherding, okay? So the bottom one, start at the bottom one. This bottom bucket is, is really about soul caring. It's a, a sense of hourly shepherding. There's only one person in the entire world that I'm supposed to be attentive of on a soul level every single minute and second and hour of the day. Only one person. And that is me. Like, if I'm not first attentive, right, to making sure that my soul is healthy, in love with Jesus, a man of the word, a man of character. If I take my eyes off my soul being healthy and properly aligned with who God is, then there's no way I could ever be a healthy shepherd or minister to my family, much less my church, or to you in this one like 45-minute session that we have together. So shepherding has to start with you making sure that you're attentive to your soul being healthy with the Lord. So there's only one person's name that goes in that bucket. Here's how this is helpful. That means anybody else that is hourly trying to get you to spend time shepherding them, it's not your responsibility. So you get the freedom to kind of take them out of that box and realize, no, my soul, I have to make sure is healthy. It comes from 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16, right? And then you move up on it. There's a a sense of daily shepherding, daily shepherding. This is like nurturing, daily shepherding. There's only a few people on the whole planet Earth that get my daily shepherding. And their names are Jamie, Caden, Deacon, Amos, and Story. Those are the people that God has called me to shepherd on a day-to-day basis. So no interns fit in that box, right? You don't fit in that box. No staff, no team members fit in that box. The only people that I'm held responsible for shepherding on a day-to-day basis is my family. If you're single, 
That might be your closest roommates, the people that you do life with, that you sit around a table with and you share a household with. If you're a student, that means your family, your family unit, you're responsible, right, for being a person who's attentive to the soul of your families, right? That is daily shepherding. And then it moves up, weekly shepherding. This is discipling, okay? So there's a few names that are in my uh, grid here for weekly shepherding. Um, A few um, guys that that I feel like uh, God has really put in my path to say, man, I can't commit my whole life to you. I can't commit every day to you, but I can commit an hour or two every single week where my role is to shepherd you as an older brother, as a minister, as somebody who's just walked a little bit further than you because I'm older than you. I would love to mentor you, disciple you, whatever other words you want to use. There's still only a few people that fit in that box. So if somebody comes to me and says, hey, can we start meeting once a week? I'd really like for you to pour your, your life into me. The answer is no, because there's already people that are in that box that I have to be laser focused on for a short amount of time. And then those guys like Zach Olson that just moved away from that box and now he's a worship pastor at a church, there's room, there's bandwidth for another man to come into that spot where I can disciple him and shepherd him on a weekly basis, okay? Next one moves up a little bit more. This is monthly shepherding. This is casting vision. This isn't discipling. This isn't mentoring. But this is once a month, man. I want to get with you, and I want to cast vision for where we're going as a team, what God's heart is for our church, and what the Lord really wants from from us as as a creative team. This right here, this monthly shepherding, this is the 350 volunteers that God has called me to lead and pastor and shepherd in our church. Right? So if I'm not mentoring you or discipling you, I love coffee and I love you, right? As a brother, as a sister, but they're the only time, the only space, right? Unless there's a major thing, I'm an elder too. So elder situations trump a lot of this stuff, right? But the place that I have to shepherd you is every single month called Worship Collective. It's from six to nine. We eat together. We pray together. We worship together. It's one-on-one, this kind of stuff. Nobody's on a stage. It's just people with people. It's my opportunity once a month to shepherd those people, okay? And then it keeps moving up. And this is a bigger bucket. This is a really big bucket. This is always shepherding. This is gospel saver, One of the things I had struggled with when I started thinking about people in my life, trying to figure out when to meet with people, is like, when do I have the the space and the time to meet with my friend Will, who's a barista at one of my favorite coffee shops? He's not a believer yet. I really want him to be a believer. Um, I'd love for him at one point to be a disciple of Jesus, right? But right now, my role in his life as a shepherd, as an elder and minister in my city, is to be the savior of the gospel in his life. So it means every time I'm around him, I want to be gospel saver to him. I want him to walk away and go, something different about that guy. He smells different. He looks different. He talks different. There's something about his words that that ring different than other people's words. That's gospel saver, right? So I've got about, if I showed you my grid, I have about 30 people that intentional names of people that I've identified. I want to be gospel saver to that person, right? So in a lot of ways, you might be hearing this, especially if you're a type A person or an older brother in the room, you might hear that and say, man, you're kind of like just categorizing people and robotically shepherding them. Not at all. That's not it at all. It's really prioritizing 
who the people are in your life that you need to spend the most time so that you're not exhausting yourself spending all your time with everybody. Another way it's helped too is for us as a team to share grids with each other. And then you start to see, um, let's see, um, Johnny is being discipled by everybody. (laughs) Everybody is meeting with Johnny every single week. You know what? Johnny needs to have one person meeting with him every week and not be a mooch of everybody's discipleship, right? He needs somebody that's just speaking into his life. So it helps to say, man, I need to take him off. I need to make sure that he knows I love him, but he needs to be discipled by this person, right? It's really helped our whole team focus on how and when and the frequency and the amount of energy that you invest in people because, man, you are not able to invest in every single person in your team to that degree. But somebody else on your team is able to invest in a person on your team, right? That's why we are a community of believers, a a, a priesthood of believers. We should be working together so that we're shepherding our people well, okay? Does that make sense? Any questions you guys have about that while we're stopping? Yeah. Uh, the monthly shepherding. Yeah. With your entire team. Can you kind of walk through your agenda for that whatever two, three hour period of time? What do you do? Sure. Yeah. So that's called our worship collective. And that is with the, the sole intention of casting vision over and over and over and over again for where we're going and who we are, right? And I'm going to unfold a little bit of this. Um, as we uh, as we go through this, um, but that's a three-hour thing where we eat together, we pray together, we worship together, um, we receive communion together, and every single month there's some sort of teaching that I give that's usually like 25 to 30 minutes, right, um, reminding them of one of our core values. So for me, it feels like I'm saying the same thing over and over and over again, but saying it in a different way so that they always come every month hearing this is what we're called to do. This is who we are. This is what the Lord has for us. This is the vision behind why I push a button in Pro Presenter. This is why I make sure my guitar is in tune. Oh, this is why I need to be on time, right? Just affirming over and over and over and over again the vision for what it means to be a worshiping team, right? So I'll unpack a little bit of that in a second and get a little bit more practical for you, but that's kind of what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. This is not like a church-wide leadership thing. Um, This is specific to uh, our worship team, right? So some other teams have have adopted or done some different variations of it, you know, but this was specifically made for for our our worship team, yeah. And the other thing, too, is like, you know, this isn't something that you, like, hang up on your office, you know, where (laughs) Sally walks in and she's like, what? You know, um, but this is, uh, this is meant to be uh, just a, a guide for you to remember, man, as much as I want to have coffee with you, bro, listen, man, I can actually point you to somebody that, that, that would love to have coffee with you and might be able to really speak some powerful things in you. His name is Johnny. Everybody's name is Johnny, you know? Okay, we'll keep moving. Uh, shepherding takes time, all right? Number two. Number two, as you're fostering a... Um, a creative team culture, remember to listen more than you speak. Listen more than you speak. <laughs> Somebody said guilty in an amazing melody too. Listen more than you speak. It is so easy to be a leader um, who just speaks all the time and doesn't have a real gauge and temperature for how your people are feeling 
what their frustrations are with the ministry, the ways they feel disconnected, um, the way they feel like it's unorganized, the way they feel like you're a bad leader. It's really easy just to speak so much and not really listen. That's why I think the image of the priest is such an important one to remember as we're leading creatives, right? The priest was with the people, different than the king who lived in the palace, right? Totally different than that. The priest was with the people. And so we got to understand that we need to listen more than we speak. Practical way to do that. Um, every, every, um, so twice a year. So every, we call them semesters, our fall semester and our spring semester. Me and um, another guy on, on my staff, his name's Chris. He's a director of worship. We'll send out to our entire staff a WUFU form. And it's really, really invasive. And it's asking our team, our staff, questions about us. It's one opportunity of many to just say, I'm listening. Like, you can give me honest, critical feedback about me as a leader. I brought it to show you. And you can see I unsubscribed to Josh Garrels up there. So if you're a Josh Garrels fan, I'm really sorry. It was just too many, too many emails. Okay, so it's honest feedback, right? Here's my, here's my questions. Uh, and again, this is, I'm sending this to my, my, my team. In what ways have you felt most supported by me in this past year? I feel unsupported by you not putting it on the screen. I don't know how to do that. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Now I can't see it, ironically. In, in what ways have you felt unsupported by me in the past year, right? Supported by me. That one you read and you're like, awesome. And the next one, in what ways have I failed you in this past year? That's a hard question, but a necessary question for a leader to ask the people that he or she is leading. How have I failed you? You're going to get, most of the time you're going to get, man, nothing. You're killing it. You're great. I love you. But the three or four that you get that are hard are good for you to hear because it helps sharpen you, right? That's my least favorite one. Um, what would you say are blind spots for me? Any leader who stands on a stage and just speaks all the time and leads people is tempted to be completely oblivious of blind spots. That's a really open-ended question, and the answers that, that I get and me and Chris get from this are, are really, really good, you know, really good. One, for example, that... Um, that I got last semester was blind spot. A blind spot for you, Aaron, might be that it appears to the team that you're more focused on external events instead of your internal team. Like, what, what he's saying is I'm more focused on you, doxology and theology, this week than I am on him. That's a blind spot. And that's good for me to know, right? Helps me say no more. It helps me say yes to them more and to know that that's maybe what they're feeling and thinking sometimes. Um, the one on the bottom, what are some things you see in my personality, work, ethic, schedule, etc., that need to change or be better, right? So your questions might be different, but man, it is so, so good to have questions that you ask your people, you know? Okay, so I'm going to keep yours and listen more than you speak, okay? Number three, know your vision and communicate it over and over and over again. Know your vision, communicate it over and over and over again. If you and I are entrusted with leadership, with shepherding a team of people, no matter how big or small, then we've got to know what the vision is. 
Like so many times the reason that we have unhealthy teams is because us as leaders don't really know what the vision is. So we haven't cast any vision. We've cast like anti-vision, right? So you've got to know first, what is your vision? What's the vision that God has given you as the shepherd for your team that you're trying to foster? Know it, write it down, have it on paper, and then cast it to them over and over and over again. It's your team that God's entrusted you to lead. So call them upward, like call them to hard things. Some of the most um, the hardest visions we've, we've called our people towards are the ones that they follow uh, with the most zeal because people want to be called upward. Okay, I'll give you an example. This is ours. This is ours. Take some, leave some, whatever. But this is our vision that we've cast to them. We call it a manifesto. So a manifesto is a written or stated declaration of who we are. That's what a manifesto is. Think about kings back in the day, rolling out the scroll. Here's my new decree. This is what the kingdom looks like. This is who we are, right? So we have a manifesto. There's 10 10 things. We tell our people this over and over and over again. We have t-shirts with manifesto printed on it. Manifesto is at the bottom of every email. Manifesto is everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Here it is. We esteem the word of God, number one. We depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. We love and worship Jesus above everything. We are a community of shepherds. We choose camaraderie over competition. Right? That's the first five. If y'all are writing those down, I'll, I'll give you a second. And if y'all want this presentation stuff afterwards, I'll give you my email address and I can just... Um, shoot it to you guys. Okay. Number six, we choose servanthood over stardom. We are not moved by applause or criticism. We value excellence in everything we do. We focus on character over competency. And we consider others more important than ourselves. Okay, so that is our decree, our public decree stating as a worshiping team, this is who we are, right? Too many times I think where, where I've failed as a leader is not reminding our people who they are, not telling them who they are. It's an issue of identity, right? And if you're not the one as the leader telling them who they are, somebody else is. It's going to be a divisive person in your team. It's going to be a heart of selfishness that comes out and starts defining your team. It's going to be um, worldly wisdom, right, that comes out and tells your team what they should be and how they should think. But your role is to tell people, the people that you've been entrusted to lead, who they are in Christ and what a worshiping team looks like, right? It's the vision that God's given you and you speak it to them over and over and over and over and over again. Like I said before, sometimes I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over and over again. So at our worship collectives, this is what I do. There's 10 of them. And uh, every single worship collective, I'll essentially say two of those 10 just in a different way, where they're going to walk out and they're not going to be like, oh, you said number three and number four, right? Because I'll say it in a different way. But in my mind, and when I'm planning out the year, I know, okay, this week I'm going to talk about um, uh, character over competency. And I'm going to talk about servanthood over stardom. And so I'm going to frame that totally different. 
but it's the same thing being hammered over and over and over again. Make sense? Okay, so know your vision, communicate it over and over and over again. Uh, fourth one, know your values. Okay, know your values. So there's these really big things like uh, a manifesto. There's like 10 of them, right? But then there's values, core values that you don't ever walk away from um, that kind of form who you are. We call them foundations. Okay, so there are five foundations. Just to give you an example, our five foundations are the word, excellence, togetherness, engagement, and development. Everything hinges on these five things. And they all are present in every part of the ministry. So the word doesn't just happen on Sundays, but the word is present. It's a foundation in every part, every meeting, every gathering, every co-writing session, the word. But excellence is also a value. So that's present. We want to be present in everything that we do, right? So we want handouts to look nice. We don't want them to look like crap because we want excellence to infect every area of the ministry. Togetherness. We are together, especially me and you. Togetherness happening all the time. Worship Collective once a month is all in round tables, food served family style, so that you can't help but look at somebody in the eye and remind each other we're together. So we don't do rows of chairs like we do in church, like this. Everything is in circles, in the round, round tables. So we're thinking through that foundation with what we're doing. We want togetherness to ooze from what we're doing, right? Engagement, very similar to uh, togetherness. Um, I'm an introvert by nature. I'm an extrovert because I'm required to be, right? But I'm an introvert by nature. But engagement trumps it. So I make sure around team stuff that I die to the innate desire to be an introvert because the greater calling in my life is to be a shepherd, right? So engagement. And then the fifth one is development. Development's a part of every area of our ministry. So these are values. These are things that are unspoken. The volunteers, they don't really see this as much as they see the manifesto. But these are the driving values behind what we do. Yeah, man. We, uh, we don't have like a third Thursday or something like that, but we plan the whole year in advance. So when we have our first one in the fall semester, we'll give them the entire fall and spring date so they can put it on their calendar. Yeah. And collective, because development is a huge part of it, collective um, alternates. So on one month, it'll be focused on togetherness and engagement. We eat together, pray together, um, that kind of stuff. But then on the alternate month, it focuses completely on excellence and development. So we break up into master classes where we'll bring in an outside voice to, to, to teach about how to be a great um, guitar player, uh, how to be a, a songwriter that, that edifies God. It would be something similar to the, the panel if you were here for that. We would do that as a master class. So they alternate, right? Make sense? Okay. Yep. Great question. So everybody shows up. So this is, if this was Worship Collective on the, the alternate um, night where it's focused on development and excellence, then we would all gather together. We'd worship together. That's always um, the word and um, engagement. That's always a part of it. We worship together. We break the scripture open, like a 10, 15 minute um, thing that I'll just encourage them with. And then we offer 15 or 20 master classes. And you just pick which one you want to go to. So if you want to learn about how not to use guitar pedals in worship, go to that class, right? If you want to learn about how, how to be a, a better um, pro presenter person, 
go to this one. And then we'll have our production people do a master class on lighting. So any volunteer that's even remotely interested in being a part of the worshiping team can step in and say, okay, I'm not sure if I'm ready to jump into this yet, but I'm going to go to that master class and check it out. It's this open door for people to come and the people that are already in are getting developed. Yeah. So that's Worship Collective. And if you got any more questions about that, then we'll, we can open that up too at the end. I love talking about Worship Collective. You You first. You won because you spoke loud. Absolutely. So uh, we, we did things similar to this. We didn't call it Worship Collective, and it wasn't as built out. But we did this same sort of thing when we had no money. Because you can do development, and you can do encouragement, and you can do um, uh, engagement with people. You can do that with zero dollars, you know? Um, having people over to your house and saying, man, I brought my, my friend um, uh, here. He's, he's a guitar player, and he's going to just tonight like teach us how to um, play guitar better. You know, not a lesson, but a high-level sort of thing. The motive for that is like inspiration, not necessarily a lesson where you're teaching somebody. And you can do that with, with zero dollars, you know? You can do the team night sort of thing. We're able to sit across the table from your four or five volunteers that you have and encourage the crap out of them, and they can pay for their own meal. You know, there's not a loss of value. You can do that in any sort of level. It might look different based on the amount of people, because sometimes when you have 300 people in the room, it does cost more money um, to, uh, to, to do that. But even with five people, man, you can invite them into your house and demonstrate this posture of, of shepherding them and developing them and equipping them. Yeah. It's a great question, though, man. Do you have one? Yeah. The uh, master class, mm-hmm. Um, yes and no. So we don't advertise Worship Collective to our whole church, right? Worship Collective is for our team of people that are serving in worship ministry across our church. But the way it's a yes is Worship Collective is our front door to ministry, to worship ministry. So, I mean, you guys know you have somebody that comes up to your church, comes up to you at church and says, hey, man, I play guitar and I'm awesome. How do I get involved? Right? And you're like, not like that, <laughs> right? <laughs> But most of us don't have any sort of like pipeline to say, well, here is the clear step that's next for you if you want to get involved, right? So first, before any of this came, was what in the world is our pipeline? Because I don't want to look at somebody ever again and say, I don't know. I don't know how you get involved. I'm sorry. I'm like in charge of this whole thing, and I have no idea how you get involved, right? So we just kind of put like some, some head down, heads down and said, Look, if the goal here is to disciple and get people on mission, then we have to have some sort of pipeline, right? So it started out very simple. You want to get involved, man? Absolutely. You know what we don't need right now? A guitar player. But what we do need is somebody to wrap cables because we meet portable in every single campus at the Austin Stone. So if you really want to get involved, bro, we absolutely need you. We want you to be a part of our community. 7 o'clock Sunday. The best way you could help and serve is to help set up sound or tear it down. 
you know? So that's the first kind of place in our pipeline is to push people to serving because serving kind of lets some people either rise to the surface of this, this person's legit. Maybe, maybe we should kind of see if they're, they're also a good guitar player or they end up looking for another church where they can just use their, their talents and not really get involved. That makes sense? So Worship Collective is the front door. Dude, you want to get involved? Two things. One, help us serve. Two, come to Collective and meet some other people that are involved in the worship ministry. Yeah. One of the things in doing this kind of thing is, is child care. Is, is like, you got a hundred yeah. babies off a kid. Yeah. So now not only got to train your music people, but you got to staff a nursing people. Sure. Just for this week. Right. So we haven't always. This is the first year that we have um, because a lot of our um, volunteers in the beginning were college students and um, young professionals without kids. But then we started noticing over the last couple of years that more and more moms and dads are getting involved. And so we, uh, we do provide childcare, and um, most of the people who do childcare are totally volunteer. So it's like, we need some help. We got these people that need some, some babies watched can you help us out you know some of our child care people are um, paid but again it kind of stair-stepped into that and another thing that helps too is we kind of thought about like well maybe if child care is, is an issue because it's at six o'clock on a thursday night maybe thursday clock thursday night at six o'clock isn't the best time for people to have kids so we started alternating and doing some on saturdays so that moms could come on a saturday morning dad's got the kids or dad can come mom's got the kids you know to give some people some options. So not the easy answer of, yes, just pay for childcare, although that, might, that could be a solution, but figuring out how to serve people that happen to have kids. I think there's probably a lot of different creative ways you could do it. Yeah. Great question, man. Um, there are levels of it. So if a person is um, committed to being a part of a band that leads worship on a Sunday, then there's the expectation that you are not just a part of collective, but you're a leader in collective. So you're teaching the guitar class. You're teaching the bass class. You're there every week, not because you have to be, because you're a leader in our church and you should be there, right? But then there's also degrees of people that we know are kind of like on the on-ramp to becoming involved and there's no expectation for them to commit to it. Ultimately, the ultimate aim with Worship Collective is not even just to get volunteers in the worship ministry. The ultimate goal with that, with that team night Worship Collective, is that those men and women would become partners of our church, covenant members of the Austin Stone Community Church that are planting their life for as long as the season is God has them there to invest in our church. So we call it partnership, we might call it membership, that's the ultimate goal, and we're moving them slowly towards that. Yeah. Okay. You guys are asking awesome questions. I'll, I'll, I'll move ahead. Feel free to jump in if you got a question. Number five, thinking about fostering uh, team culture creativity. Artists crave freedom, but flourish in community. Artists crave freedom, but flourish in community. So I think this is important because, um, it, it, you know, almost all of us in this room are artists and you know that there's this tension 
you want to have no rails and you want to have a blank sheet of paper, right? But we know artists actually thrive when we are in community. And so we talk about this a lot with our team. We wished that art was like, just no rails or whatever. We wish you could play guitar solo in every song. That'd be awesome, right? No rails, just do it, right? But what's better than that is for you to flourish in community. And so um, I would encourage you guys to foster the thing that fuels your artist, like whatever that thing is. Um, for us, what fuels art, because we live in a very, very art-centered city, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world, right? Um, the thing that, that, that really fuels artists is to, um, to be uh, in collaboration with each other constantly. That, that's one thing that just fuels our people, right? To celebrate each other. And so every time we're around, I try to make it a point to celebrate what somebody else is doing, right? So if Jimmy writes a song, man, in our staff meeting on Wednesday, we're going to celebrate that. If, the, if Jaleesa, if she um, got asked to go do something, we're going to celebrate it, right? The sense of like, we're in this together, that is something that fuels artists in our, in our tribe and in our city. So we try to pour um, fuel on that fire. Um, artists crave freedom, but flourish in community. Number six, create a culture of feedback. There's only four more and I'll let you guys go. Six, create a culture of feedback. So feedback is terrifying for every artist, but um, we, it's taken a long time, but we've kind of fostered this culture where feedback is not a negative thing. Feedback is a great thing. That feedback comes from a place of love and um, wanting to sharpen each other as iron does, right? Not a negative thing. So give honest criticism freely and unashamedly, but timing is everything. So as you're thinking about your team that... You're trying to develop and, and move from point A to B. Remember that critical feedback is important. Timing is everything. Wording is everything. You're thinking about taking somebody to A to B. It takes a long time and it takes a lot of grace, but it also takes boldness, right? To say, hey man, here's how I'd like to see you grow. And a lot of that started with me being the first one to say, give me feedback. That's how you kind of foster culture feedback is to say, hey, before I point anything out about you, Tell me how I can serve you better. How can I be a better leader? And that helps foster this kind of like two-way conversation of, now let me speak into your life because I love you too, right? Number seven, give trust. Give trust to your team. Give trust to your people, to your artists. Give trust to your band members. Give trust to your volunteers. You know, we all heard the, the, the phrase, and I've even said it to my kids and caught myself, and I'm like, oh man, that's terrible. But you heard the phrase, like, um, trust is earned. You know, my kids break my trust, and I'm like, you, trust is earned. You need to earn my trust. And it's so counter, like, a gospel sort of posture to people that we're serving. Trust is actually a gift that you give to someone. Like, me trusting you is not to say, man, I hope you earn my trust and you get to this point where I can finally trust you. No, trust through a gospel lens is something that I'm going to give to you. I'm going to trust you, man. And then when you, when you break trust or you do something that's stupid or whatever, the gospel lens again is we're going we're gonna to reconcile. There's going to be confession, repentance, and then again, I'm going to give you trust again, right? People on teams flourish 
when you're giving trust instead of waiting for them to earn the trust, right? They always rise to that level when you give it to them, to them freely, okay? Uh, number eight. Three more. Eight, work hard, play hard. Work hard, play hard. Uh, it's easy to kind of lead a team where you work hard all the time. It's also easy to lead a team where you just play hard all the time. But if you can do both of those equally and often, your team's actually going to like being a part of your team. You know, so we work really, really hard, but we also play really hard. A huge value, like I said, with our, our team, our, our, the larger team of volunteers, is when we're together, it's fun. Like, we make it fun. I want it to be the most fun thing that they do that month, you know? And it doesn't cost money to have fun. You can come up with creative ways to have fun, right? Um, that has been really helpful. And then on the micro sense of just, like, staff, if you have a staff of people that you're leading, man, staff meetings should be fun. It shouldn't be a buzzkill. It shouldn't be terrible. It should be something that's enjoyable. Work hard, play hard. Again, I don't mean to put all the pressure on you, but all the pressure's on you. Like, you're the leader. <laughs> you totally set the temperature for that, okay? Number nine, money is not the best compensation for artists. Money is not the best compensation for artists, okay? And here's what I mean by that, and it's going to take just a second to unpack it. I think there is this temptation um, in any of us to say, well, if I had the money to pay better musicians in my church, then we would have better musicians in my church. There's a real temptation to think that. There's also the temptation to think, if we pay our musicians, they're just going to do it for money, so we shouldn't pay them. So I just want to tell you, wherever you're at on that spectrum, the proper place to land is money is not the best compensation. If you pay your musicians, awesome. If that's your, your philosophy and there's a reason for it, great, do it. But realize money is not the best compensation. If you don't philosophically pay your musicians and they're all volunteers, own that. It's okay. It doesn't mean you're going to get less quality volunteers. Why? Because money is not the best compensation for artists. Compensate your team with the things that money could never, ever buy. That, that's what it means to truly shepherd people, is you're compensating them with things that money could never in a thousand years buy. What, 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 what is it that money can't buy? True friendship. What is it that money can't buy? Camaraderie. What is it that money can't buy? A shepherd that loves them. What is it that money can't buy? A shepherd that's with them when they're broken and they're full of sorrow, right? What does money not buy in a church? It buys somebody, it, 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 um, it's somebody who says, man, I, I want to see you like grow in your love for the Lord more than I want to see you be the most awesome guitar player in the city. You know what I'm saying? You can't buy that stuff. So compensate them no matter what spectrum you're on, compensate them with the things that money could never buy, okay? Number 10, last one, be a leader worth following. Be a leader worth following. I think of um, the fact that, like, the people that God's entrusted me to lead, all of them have leaders in their life, all of them. They have a boss, they have a supervisor, they have a principal, they have a professor, they have somebody in their life that is a leader, right? But I want to be a leader in their life, a spiritual leader 
that is actually worth following. They have a lot of leaders that are not worth following at all. And the only thing that makes a leader worth following is a leader that is fully submitted under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that cares more about the person in front of them than the product, right? That's a leader that's worth following. I have leaders in my life where I'm like, man, I would go to the ends of the earth for you, not because you're the best leader in the world or the most eloquent leader or the most famous leader in the world, but because, man, I see in your life a love for the Lord and character, and that leads me to Jesus, so that, that, that's worth following, right? Your people need that. They need that in you. They don't need you to be the slickest, coolest, best-looking, most awesome leader on the planet. They need somebody that is just humbly submitted before God and wants to see them thrive in their love for the Lord. That, that's really and truly, like, you need to hear me. That's really and truly what they need. That's the role of a shepherd. Um, a good litmus test for you, and I'll close with this, and then however much longer we have, you guys can um, ask questions or tell me anything that you hate. Um, uh, a good litmus test is, I, I like to look at the, the vibe and the culture of my, like, staff and volunteers and say, what does the team feel like right now? Like, does everybody in the room in meetings have these faces that looks like I hate my life and I don't want to be here, you know? Is the team apathetic? Is the team totally lacking joy and zeal and enthusiasm for the Lord? Are they? Because if they are, there's a really good chance that they're getting that from me. Because culture always comes from the leader and trickles down into every part of the team. So if they're bored, if they're apathetic, if they look like they hate their life and their job and they don't want to have any zeal for Jesus, there's a good chance that that's coming from me. I look at him and I'm like, man, if, if everybody's passionate right now, if everybody's full of zeal and everybody's like ready to just go for it, there's a chance, right, that that might be coming from me, but that always alarms me to say, okay, but I want to make sure we don't just ride this wave, but we're still constantly casting vision for who we're meant to be as people who are leading this church week after week to, to, to lead, right? So just like look, look at your team and say, what's the culture like? If you don't like it, if you wouldn't want to be a part of your team, then, then change it, change it. Make it a team that you would actually want to give up your Sunday for and your Thursday and your Wednesday or whatever you call your people towards, okay? All right, so that's all I have. Anybody have questions? questions that you send out every semester, does your team answer that anonymously or do they answer that um, directly? They put their name on it. Yep. And um, I don't know if, if early on if I, I made it anonymous. I think there's, there's good and bad with both. You know, having a culture where, feed, where feedback is normal now, um, there's a lot of value in just having the, the name on it, you know. Um, so, yeah, name on it. Yeah, that's how we used to do it. It's face to face. Yep, where you're having coffee with somebody and you're like, dude, I love you, man. Is there anything I can do to, sir? How have I failed you? That's one of my favorite questions I used to ask is like, dude, how have I failed you this year? Has there been a way that I've just dropped the ball on being your leader? I want to know. I want you to tell me. I don't want you to tell everybody else. I want you to be able to tell me. Um, yeah, face to face. all of 
of them, but I don't always come into contact with all of those volunteers. Mm -hmm. Is that still something you would ask those volunteers about yourself, or do you focus that on the leaders they come into contact with in that city? Yeah, I would focus on whoever's leading them and whoever they see as their their leader personally all the time. You know, if there's a way, I think there's there's really good value in if if there's a way for you to at least have some touch points for everybody occasionally once a month a couple times a semester whatever i think that's always good you know but somebody some shepherd who's saying that to them is crucial yeah is it on the money standpoint yeah Yeah. Um, so again, there, I don't think there's a right or wrong to this. This is how we got to the point that we're at. Um, we live in Austin, Texas, where if you're a musician in, in Austin um, by trade, right, you put food on your family's table by playing your instrument. And we realized that to ask a musician to give up a Thursday night to rehearse and all day Sunday, you know, because it's usually three or four services, it would be loving them less to, to not say, hey, man, we also want to help you put food on your table because we realize this is the one way that you make um, an income. In the city of Austin, that was the philosophy. That was the looking at our culture and our people and saying, how do we serve them well, right? It's not an issue of like, how do we get the best musicians in town? But how do we serve them well knowing uniquely in Austin, that that's how they put food on their table, right? So that was, that was it for us. And then we, we did that very, very early on um, before it was a, a large church um, from, from day one when it was like um, 200 people meeting in, uh, uh, that wasn't day one. It was 200 people meeting in school, middle school in the middle of year one. And so when there was enough to give a guitar player a $25 gift card to Starbucks, that was still saying, hey, we care about you. We know that like your financial well-being comes from playing an instrument. We would like to pay you more. This is what we have right now. You know, and then that moved into, I want to give you $50, man. Not because we're paying you, but because we want to bless you as a musician that usually doesn't get blessed in the city. Yeah. How long did it take you, how long was the process for developing your manifesto, for developing your philosophy of what did that look like for you guys? I feel like I changed it every three months. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it started with the values, um, and those values came up about four years ago, where um, I met. So, being a being a student, right, of of other teams and and culture and how it's built, like we all need to be students of it. Like the fact that you're here is awesome. We need to constantly be growing. Like I'm a, a student of how other teams are built and how healthy culture works. Whether it's at Google, which is the number one place to work because of culture, right? Who's asking that? Sorry, I was looking at you. Hey, man. Uh, or, uh, or uh, you know, a church that has a really good team culture. So about four years ago, I have some friends who are worship leaders at Hillsong. So I went over to Hillsong, and I was like, teach me 
what you guys do to build teams because you do it probably better than anybody else on the planet. You go there, they're all volunteer. Everybody's fully bought in. They're just like wonderful people to be around. So I just took notes, man. I took notes about all the things that I loved throughout the stuff that I didn't love and started building and crafting like what are the foundations that our ministry needs to revolve around with convictions, personal convictions, biblical convictions, and then contextual convictions for the city of Austin. And that's where those foundations came from. And then from that, it was like, okay, how do I make this? How do we, this was done in plurality. How do we make this something that's like tangible, practical? Togetherness is not practical, but a manifesto of we choose camaraderie over comparison, that's tangible. So when somebody's, you know, comparing, man, I feel like I suck, he's better. You can say, man, camaraderie always trumps comparison. You're, you're, you're a brother. So choose that. You know what I'm saying? It puts like flesh on it. So the manifesto came about three years ago and it hadn't changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the values all come from the same sort of places, right? It's different language, but if you put the, the church's overall mission and values next to these that are contextualized for worship ministry, they're, they, they, they match. They're congruent. Yeah. So if your church has like three values, I would start there and then figure out how to like make those values communicate really well to the context of worship leaders and volunteers in your church, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are you talking about like rehearsing for Sunday? Okay. Um, a couple things. Um, we live in a busy city, which I'm sure you do too. Um, with terrible traffic, and everybody has a thousand things to do, right? Um, like a lot of our volunteers and, and even our paid musicians, like they have kids who are in middle school and they've got like um, practices like seven a week, which is what it feels like for me, you know? So life is really, really busy, you know? And so it starts with grace first of like, I, we realize that life is busy and that this isn't your job and that you have other things in your life. It starts there. But then it always moves to, but if you want to be a part of this and you feel like this is something that you want to really commit to, here's the bare minimum of what we need. And the bare minimum, on the rare occasion, something happens, of course, but the bare minimum is I need you to commit to being here. I need you to be on time and I need you to be prepared. That's not too much to ask. You know, my like, 10-year-old freaks out if he's late to soccer practice. I mean, freaks out. He wants to be there on time, right? So I don't think it's too much to really like press our people towards um, that heart of excellence of saying, dude, don't show up if you don't know the chords to a song that I gave you two weeks ago. Show up prepared and show up on time because you care, you know? And then again, this honest feedback sort of thing, I don't think there's anything at all wrong with a leader saying, man, you're not stepping up to the place of leadership that you committed to. So there has to be some sort of change. Either, either you change or 
somebody else plays guitar. You know what I'm saying? We've had hard conversations like that. There's one that, that is going on right now. It's just hard. It's a guy who's been playing guitar um, at the Stone for, for, gosh, five, six years. He's a missional community group leader. He's totally plugged in at one of our campuses. Him and his wife are amazing leaders. But there was a cap. There was a cap on um, what he could do. Like, it, it literally, um, every single... I don't know if this is recording. How do you turn this off? I love you, whoever that is that's listening. Um, there's a, there's a, a bar that you're setting for your people. And if you can't reach that, then there has to come a point where, man, here's the expectation that's set. Lovingly, you haven't reached it. So we need somebody that really can, you know? And that's hard. Really, really hard. Um, so hard. Nothing else to say, but so hard. Necessary, though. Yeah, man. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, her name is Jalisa. And so Jalisa oversees our, um, our female worship leadership. Um, and so she's the one who would, would meet with and, and ask those hard questions and have any conversation like this that we're having. She would do that. Yeah, absolutely. And that person doesn't have to be a, a paid person. They could be a volunteer, somebody that you, that you help um, in plurality kind of raise up to be a, a leader. Um, we need more strong um, female leaders in our, in our church. Just because, like, we don't have female pastors doesn't mean we shouldn't have female leaders that are leading, right, with, with confidence and leading with, with strength. We need that. And a lot of times what it means for us uh, in the church is to help foster it, you know? So it took a long time for us to find a Jaleesa. A really long time. You know where we found her? We found her leading in student ministry at our West Campus just faithfully every single week as a volunteer. Just standing up there and loving kids and singing. She was a background vocalist and now she's moved to this place of overseeing our, our female worship leadership, you know? So I think it just takes like looking and then investing in and developing and fostering that. But to answer your question, yes. I feel like I could talk more about obstacles, right? A longer amount of time I could talk about obstacles than I could spend talking about this stuff because so many, bro, like so many failures, so many obstacles, so many times um, I thought like, man, maybe, maybe we're calling them to too high of a vision or too hard, you know? Uh, so some of the obstacles I think early on was like me not communicating enough, uh, not saying the vision over and over and over again, but just assuming hey, we talked about what our vision is and what we're called to six months ago. What are you talking about? You don't know what we're doing, you know? Like really forgetting to communicate, oh, be an over-communicator of the culture and the vision. That was a huge um, kind of mistake made early on, you know? Um, another uh, obstacle was um, not being present enough in all things. For example, if you're in a staff meeting, you know, it's so easy to be on your phone the whole time, be on your computer the whole time, 
and think like, man, they're talking about something over here, but I'm going to work over here, you know, or to walk into your staff meeting at church or your volunteer meeting and be on your phone doing important things like tweeting and Instagramming the picture of the team that you're leading, right? Um, and so one obstacle early on, man, was just like not being present enough, like present. I was physically there, but not present. Big difference, you know? So I just try to make a conscious effort. I had to do this. Somebody really pressed me on this. One of the guys on our team, he's like, man, I know you're busy. I get it. You're busy. But every time you come to staff meeting, you're on your phone or you're in the back, you know, texting somebody or checking your emails or whatever. When you're here, it'd be great if you were just here, you know? So I was good to hear, right? I'm like, of course I should be here. So now I either turn my phone off or put it in my backpack and leave it there so it's not buzzing in my pocket, you know, being present. Uh, again, I dude, we could talk about a ton of obstacles. Most of them have to do with not having clear vision written out, prescribed out, telling people where you're going and just assuming that culture would happen because people would like being around me. It just doesn't work that way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.